Part two, chapter fifteen of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Thomas Peter. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part two, chapter fifteen. I work such long hours. Broken Blossoms was first shown as the initial offering of Griffith's repertory season at the George M. Cohen Theatre, New York, May 13, 1919, before as distinguished an audience as had ever assembled in a Broadway theatre. There was not a hitch anywhere. The film was mechanically perfect. It was accompanied by special haunting music. The Chinese scenes showed an effect of pale blue lighting. Griffith, Lillian, and Bartlemus were present. When the picture ended, its success assured, Morris Guest darted backstage, kicked over chairs, waved his arms, wept and laughed hysterically. The Sun, next evening, called it the most artistic photoplay yet produced. The Tribune said, It is the most beautiful motion picture we have ever seen, or ever expect to see. When it was over, we wanted to rush up to everyone we met and cry, Oh, don't miss it, don't miss it. There was a great deal more in the same strain, echoed by every critic. The elder Schildkraut said of it, I have seen every actress of Europe and America during the last half-century. Lillian Gish's scene in the closet, where she is hiding in terror from her brutal father, is the finest work I have ever witnessed. And Lillian if she had been no more than widely popular before, she was indubitably famous now. All day long, reporters and photographers waited outside her rooms at the Commodore. Invitations piled on her table. What a commotion! Life, she wrote now, is just one long photograph and interview. Was she all they said? Queen of the silent drama? Duza and Bernhardt of the screen? How could anyone be both? And why must she be anybody but herself? Still, it was rather fun to have them say those things. Gratifying, too. Was she the little girl who such a brief while ago had lost her little telescope bag, running for a train, and slept on the station benches? Tired? So tired? She was tired now, and there seemed no resting place. Almost immediately back in Los Angeles, she was writing now, I work such long hours. Sometimes I don't even see Mother for days. Can you imagine us living in the same house and hardly seeing one another? I must go to the studio now, to have what I hope will be my last interview for years. I certainly was not made to be famous. It is beginning to get on my nerves. Somewhat later, she wrote, no, we don't belong to that set where they think they buy happiness with dollars. I think that is why I didn't like New York, this time. Though of course I shouldn't say that, as they were wonderful to me, both the press and the people. The studio gave a party for Mr. Griffith, Saturday night. All the stagehands, electricians and working men, their wives and families, and of course the actors and such. It reminded me of Massillon. Was just such a party as we would have there. 
bright studio all decorated with lanterns and music playing dancing sandwiches baked beans ice cream madam the colored lady who cleans the place sang and danced dick dorothy and bobby acted the fool it was just a foolish party her taste was for her friends her work the simple daily round did she sometimes stop to look back over the way she had come and along a royal road that stretched before i think not often she was not a dreamer in that sense when fan letters praised her to the skies when the newspapers labelled her the world's darling she was pleased no doubt but kept her balance and sometimes about three in the morning she found it no trouble to remember that the world's darling was just a frail little figure huddled in the dark trying to get to sleep end of part two chapter fifteen